Hey, get your Bible out and turn to the book of Acts, if you would, please. I know that um, there are all sorts of Mother's Day plans today. I'm, I'm cognizant of that, and I'll sensitize myself to that, and I, I promise you we'll be in good shape uh, to get you where you need to be before the end of the morning. But we do need to spend a little bit of time studying uh, the Word of God, and we have started a new teaching series that we call Playing with Dynamite. Uh, Jesus said, and we'll read those passages again here in just a moment, uh, in the book of Acts, that first chapter, that uh, the Holy Spirit, when he would come, would release power. The word was dunamis. And uh, if you followed its etymology, we do derive our word dynamite from that. And there is an explosive work of the Holy Spirit that can take place in a believer's life. And so uh, we want to talk about that recently. Um, I think it was back in March, I was able to go out to Baton Rouge and I attended a remnant conference. Um, I'm the remnant representative for South Carolina. Pastor Larry Stockstill uh, has a mission, a mandate, a call on his life to uh, just bring some character and integrity back to the pulpits of America. And he's networked with uh, different point people in every state of the union. And uh, I live in South Carolina and we have a relationship with him. And so uh, that was a fit in that area, and so we attend his remnant conference, and Rick Warren was there. Many people would recognize the name of Rick Warren. He wrote The Purpose Driven Life and uh, a sequel to that, so to speak, The Purpose Driven Church. And I'm not uh, necessarily uh, an embracer of all of that philosophy. I, I think there's some good things that we can learn, and it was certainly good for me uh, to listen to him speak because there were a lot of things that just taught me that you never, never hear something secondhand. It's always good to hear something from the horse's mouth. There are a lot of folks that attribute things to people that may not be so. And so if for no other reason, it was good for me to listen to him speak and to be able to shake out the stuff that I thought could be attributed to him and the stuff that he really, really believed. And so it was, it was really good to be able to uh, hear that uh, for myself. And uh, it was a totally enjoyable time and my respect for him uh, increased greatly as well. But on the last night we were there, um, a great crowd of pastors had gathered for the Remnant Conference. It's, it's Wednesday night. There were others that had come as well. But there were at least a thousand pastors in the audience, and most of us come from a Pentecostal charismatic background. So keep that in mind. There's about a thousand of us there, and, and we're listening uh, to, to Pastor Rick Warren, and those of you that know his background, it's a Southern Baptist background. And he stood up and he was going to teach on what he entitled the Five Global Giants. It was a great message, important points that needed to be made, gleaned much from it. But his text came out of Acts chapter 2. And as I was sitting there in the midst of a thousand Pentecostal pastors, listening to one that I knew was a Southern Baptist minister, open up a Bible to Acts chapter 2. I said to myself, this should be interesting. This should be interesting. Now, he taught through it, and he, and he really didn't get into all the interesting features of Acts chapter 2. But nonetheless, I, I thought to myself, uh, you know, and, and, and love me. I just, I'm, I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now, been through enough, that pretty much I just say whatever pops into my mind. 
And I thought to myself, bless his heart, Southern Baptist pastor preaching on Acts chapter 2 is about like me trying to do rap music. I mean, I mean it just, it just it doesn't fit just quite right. It was a good shot. I may try it. You know, someday I'll get up here and do the rap. Yeah, I can hear you guys. I see some of you going, don't do that, Pastor. Don't do that. But you know, you can't do a series on the Holy Spirit unless you get to Acts chapter 2. I mean, I mean, I've watched years, for years, been in churches for years where that passage got navigated around. Because I just, you just don't want to open up that can. I mean, you start talking about what happens in Acts chapter 2 and you're going to open up a can. Well, I guess I'd love opening up cans. Let's see what's in the can. That's kind of where I'm at. So in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read you some passages here. I'm going to jump over to the second chapter as well. And I want to talk a little bit about receiving your personal Pentecost. We might even call it untangling Pentecost for some. But it's an important, it's an important event that we can't ignore or treat like it's not even in the Bible. So in Acts 1, beginning with verse 5, we read this. It says, For John truly baptized with water, but you, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. By the way, that preposition with, that might be good to underline right there. That, that little preposition is going to tell us a lot here in just a minute. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Therefore, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. There it is, dunamis. It's the Greek word, dynamite, explosive, mighty, great power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now leap over to Acts chapter 2. Buckle up. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Now listen to what's being said. We're confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I'm going to untangle something here in just a minute. How many times have you been confused listening to someone speak in your own language? It, never. It's not a trick question. Never. If you come speaking to me in English, I, I can understand that. Yet they were confused because they were speaking, listen, in their own language. There's something to be understood here. Verse 7, they were all amazed, marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Isn't that a great question? Whatever could this mean? Jesus himself, as we've read here, and he would also remark in Luke's gospel, in fact, it's Luke 24, 49, Jesus promised that there would be a day that he would send to them the Holy Spirit. That one would come, and if you read John chapters 14 through 16 after last week, you would begin to see all the things that the Holy Spirit would provide and do for us as believers. He promised that His work, Jesus' work, would continue through this one whom we call the Holy Spirit. His work would continue because He would come and reside in us and work through us. Now, I, I just want to remind you again from what I said last week that the Holy Spirit applies all that Jesus supplies. I'll say that again. The Holy Spirit applies all that Jesus supplies. If you're going to interact with Jesus in the earth today, you've got to come to terms with His Holy Spirit. That's how God interacts with us today in the earth. It's through the workings of the Holy Spirit. And preachers and pastors have twisted themselves and have done theological acrobatics to either go around Acts chapter 2 or or somehow uh, re-explain Acts chapter 2. And they do this, I think, for basically two reasons. I'm just going to give you these real fast. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Number one, they just have what I call a bad hermeneutic. Now you say, what's a hermeneutic? Is that like a disease? Is that transferable? It's, it means that they have a bad way of interpreting the Scripture. It's an improper way of interpreting the Scripture. There are some people who will look at you and they will tell you, well, you know, this Acts chapter 2 stuff, it's not for today. It happened then, yes, but it's not for today. That's called cessationism. And nowhere in the Scripture is there a limitation on what God can do either then or for now. Now, I know some will tell you that, but tell them, just say, where is that in the Scripture? Secondly, they'll tell you that it's not for everyone. That somehow or another, some people are granted a special blessing or a happening in their life, but it's not for everyone. I've already quoted to you the passage that God is no respecter of persons. That what He did for them, He'll do for you. And, and, and so it's just plain old, just bad interpretation. Secondly, the reason I think they kind of want to jump around it is fear. Fear. I mean, I've listened to all sorts of things. I've been told that, that certain happenings are counterfeit. It could be demonic or it's flesh. I've always said this to folks. If the devil, the devil can only counterfeit something that's real. For instance, you can't counterfeit a $3 bill. Why can't you counterfeit a $3 bill? Because there's no such thing as a $3 bill. All you can counterfeit is that which is real. And so could there be counterfeits in the earth? Certainly. The Scripture tells us that there are lying signs and wonders. There are false visions, false dreams. There are false teachers, as well as false evangelists and false prophets and false apostles. And just because something's false doesn't mean there's not a reality. 
In fact, if you say, well, they're a false prophet, all that says is there must be real ones. All right? So, so the, but there's a fear. There's a fear involved in all of this. The other thing is stigma. Because we all know, especially if you're in our circles, we all know the hammering sometimes we take because we believe in certain manifestations that could show up with the coming and the moving of the Holy Spirit. And there's stigma that's associated with this. It, it can look funny. It can look weird. It can look different. We don't understand it. It, 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 it challenges our, our, our refinement. It, it challenges our logic and our rationality. It's, it, it's divisive. And since it's divisive, can I just tell you this? The cross is divisive. Well, maybe if we're getting rid of divisive things, we just ought to get rid of the cross. I've heard people say that. You know, I, you know, you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're going to get the tongues. It's all that's divisive. We just don't need to be divisive. Well, I, I just get rid of the cross then. That's my view. See, my view is, is that let's just embrace and let's, let's understand. I've heard people say it's emotionalism. You hang around me a while, you'll find out I'm not an emotionalistic person. <laughs> I need, a little, I need a little thing that puts up the amen sign when you're supposed to say amen. That was, the sign was not up, honey, at that moment. There's sometimes I'm incredibly emotional with you. But that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the that's kind of the slop that gets thrown. Oh, they're, they're emotional. No, no, not necessarily. This day, Pentecost, very important day, very important day. Pentecost was the annual Jewish feast that at times was referred to as the Feast of Weeks or the Day of First Fruits. The Jews celebrated Pentecost as a time to give thanks to God for the first buds on the heads of the grain which they had planted and they had this celebration because it pointed to the day when they would actually have a harvest. So Pentecost was the celebration. Really, it was a prophetic celebration of a harvest that they knew would come because the grains were budding and they knew just maybe a couple months down the road they were going to have a great harvest that would prosper and bless them, certainly feed them and all the things that that represented. And this celebration was always 50 days after the Passover. So you have Passover, 50 days, then you would have Pentecost. Now, I want to put this imagery together so you can get the interpretation uh, very easily. Passover. You know what Passover was? It was when uh, Pharaoh, uh, when Moses was challenging Pharaoh to loose the slaves from Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh spoke the last plague or curse, which would be the death of the firstborn. And in order for God to pass over the homes of the Jews that had firstborn, uh, they would all uh, kill a lamb, take the blood, and they, they, they marked the doorposts. And when the, when the angel of death came through, uh, they, he would see the blood and he would pass by, pass over. Uh, and so no one would die in that household. So Passover is very much, I don't know if we have that or not, guys, Passover is very much analogous to the cross and to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We're under a sentence of death, are we not, as sinners? We are sinners under the sentence of death. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. And in order for God to pass over or for us to move into life, God no longer looks at our sin, but he looks at the blood of the lamb. And so Passover is easily 
analogous to the cross of Christ. Now, when we get to Pentecost, what, is, what does Pentecost have to do with it all? Well, Pentecost was the first sign of the harvest. And so, if we begin to see what this is all about, what happens on the day of Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2 is that there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would, that would bring about the first fruits of the harvest that God had on His mind uh, when He sent His Son to die for the world. Jesus died for the whole world. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but should have eternal life. And so Pentecost comes, and as they're celebrating the first fruits of the natural harvest, this was the sign that God was giving to His church that this would be the first fruits of a greater harvest that was yet coming. Now think about this. In Acts 2 and then in Acts 4, there were 3,000 people that got saved on the day of Pentecost. That's a pretty good altar call. A couple days later, there were 5,000 families that got saved. Now we're talking less than a week into this thing, and some people uh, estimate that over 25,000 people had already become born again. Is that not an amazing thought? And now, now, capture this if you can in your finite brain. That this happening was just a first fruit of what would happen. And that's why I often tell people that the book of Acts is not the goal. It's the door. It's the beginning. It's the springboard to where God wants to take His people and His church. This is how the church started. If the church started that way, how much better will it be when we're in the season of the harvest? I mean, if you can get all worked up over the little buds of grain, yet you know there's going to be this incredible harvest, think about it. This was the beginning. These were just the little buds of the moving of the Spirit. That there would yet be greater measure that would be poured out upon us all. So we believe, we believe that the cross and the blood will never lose its power. Is that not right? To this day, I believe that Jesus' sacrifice works on May the 8th, 2011, at around 1120 at Legacy Church in Charleston, South Carolina. In like manner, I believe that Pentecost is for today. If these early disciples needed this kind of a happening in order to spring them into the plan of God, how much more would we today need this to take place in our life? I was some time ago uh, in New Orleans. In fact, it was when Tracy and I, I believe we were at our 20th wedding anniversary celebration. We were catching a cruise ship out of New Orleans. We were going to cruise down the Mississippi River and then out into the Gulf and, and, and do some things in the Caribbean. Got there a day early and we decided to tour New Orleans. We'd never been to New Orleans. I'll just, I'll just say this out loud. It was before Katrina and I'll tell you, New Orleans needed a bath. It was, it was, I don't know what I was thinking. It was, it was, it was bad. It was just bad and nasty. But we didn't know we were there and, and we just kind of ignorant and naive to it. So we're kind of walking through most of the time going, don't look, don't look, don't, you know. But we got down to Jackson Square. Those of you that have been there know that in that square, they have tables set up with uh, psychics, uh, tarot card readers, and it's, they're just set up all along that court. And right there, not 
10 steps, there's a church. 10 steps from its front door, there's this psychic reader. And we were looking at that, and I looked at my wife and I said, you know what I'm thinking? And she, you know, we've been married for so long, she knows exactly what I'm thinking. And she says, there isn't enough power in the church to drive this stuff out. I said, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. That the powers of darkness with such impunity can actually post its tables up 10 steps from the front door of the church. Have mercy. I mean, I, I mean, let me just say this, and I'll say it out loud. Churches, by and large, have some entertainment value, but we don't have a lot of power anymore. And I'm just telling you, if, if, if a psychic wanted to set his table up 10 steps from legacy, I believe we could call up the posse of intercessors and people, and we could go to praying, and I'll, I'll just be willing to bet we could drive that thing out of here. Now, I have confidence enough to know that. I have confidence enough to believe that. I mean, but, but there's, it, just, it was just an illustration of no power. No power. And so, what needs to take place? Well, here we get to Acts chapter 2. And I want to just untangle a couple of things. I'm going to try to do this quick. I know you've got plans, but this is so important. Number one, I'm just going to untangle this by asking questions and then dealing with it. Number one, how many, Pastor, how many works of God do I need in my life? You know, some folks will teach you out of this that this day was simply a, a completion of their salvation. You know, they, they were kind of in an odd time period, and these disciples were in an odd period, and so here was the completion of their salvation. It's when they were truly converted, perhaps, into New Testament Christians. Can I just say this? I, I, just, I just know people too well, and so you've got unsaved people, listen to this, unsaved people dropping their nets, Following Jesus around for three years. Now, you heard what I said, didn't you? Unsaved people dropping their nets, following Jesus around for three years. Oh, not only that, unsaved people driving out demons, healing the sick, being amazed at it. They went back to Jesus, as you'll recall, and said, wow, even the demons are subject to us. And it's all done by unsaved people, right? Because they weren't really saved until Acts chapter 2. That's not true. Jesus said when he was praying for them in the garden in John 17, he said, I thank you for these that you have given me and that their names are written in the book of life. In John 20, verse 22, he looks at them long before Pentecost and it says that he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, they weren't perfect people. They had their issues, but they sound like a fairly committed bunch to me. There are people today who would not exhibit 10% of what these guys did, and we call them saved, but yet we, we don't think they were. You see, I believe people need multiple touches from God. The first one you should get is what is called being born again. It's when, it's when you were uh, uh, lifted from your death and trespass and sin, and newness of life came to you, which, by the way... At that moment, there is a receiving of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be inside of you to regenerate you. He has to be inside of you in order to quicken you from death unto life. But the key is, is the Holy Spirit just a resident or is he president? You see, you may have the Holy Spirit, but the question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? 
That's why Jesus said, He said that the day will come that, that I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's why I like that little preposition with. Because you see, when you come to the moment of Acts chapter 2, it's not like, you know, you've been walking with Jesus and the Holy Ghost is somewhere down the block and you hadn't got Him yet. No, the Holy Spirit is working in you, but the key is you need a baptism with Him. With Him. He's there, but He's not consumed all of you yet. You see, when most people come to the Lord in salvation, God meets them at the point of their need, the point of their concern. And let's just be honest, when most of us got saved, we were probably signing up for some fire insurance. When most of us got saved, we were signing up that our life's a wreck and it's, and it's a disaster and we need you just to put this back together again. I mean, we need cleansed from our guilt. We want to be forgiven of our sin. Most people come to the Lord at that moment and God meets them there at that moment. I believe that for no other reason, we need a second moment because most do not have really the mental capacity at that moment to deal with concepts of lordship and giving it all. I mean, we give them everything we know to give them at the time. Most of it's our junk. But there comes a moment that we're confronted with the fact that God's called us to a purpose. He's given us a mandate. There's something about His will that has to be done in my life. Yes, I came to Him because I was a wreck. I didn't want to go to hell. I needed things put back in order. I needed forgiveness. I didn't want to live with any guilt. But now I know that I want to live my life for Him. I'm supposed to do kingdom works. I need some more power going on in my life if I'm going to fulfill the mandate of God in my life. And God says, yes, I will save you. I will move upon you. I will work in you. And I've got something else for you that can empower you to victory if you'll let me do this work in your life. The word baptism, baptizo, literally means to plunge into. Most of us, you know, we have a little dabble, do you? Spirit. We've got just enough Holy Spirit to make us cry a little bit and feel good and give us a little comfort. God wants to plunge you into Himself. When you're plunged into Him, it's like a garment going into a dive vat. You know, if you were, if you were dyeing some clothes and you, and you put it in and you take it out, let's say it was a white shirt going into some color, it would come out and it'd be kind of a light color. If you, if, you, if you stuck it in there again, it'd be a little darker. If you stuck it in there again, it'd be even darker. I believe that's a good illustration of how the Spirit of God wants to work in our life. We're to be plunged into the Spirit. So when we come out, we look a lot more like Him. We begin to demonstrate and exude the qualities of our Savior. So I, I believe for all of us. In fact, it's not just two times. Can I just suggest this to you? In Acts chapter 4, these same disciples were in a room that the Bible says they had to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. So I don't even know if it's two times. I think it's three times, four times, ten times. I I'll stay under the faucet. You need, you, God has more than enough available of what you need to make it. Number two. Pastor, talk to us about this unusual manifestation stuff. Because this is the most disconcerting part for most people. It's here we get uptight. No one wants to be thought of as wild or bizarre. Yet can we admit that the Holy Spirit shows up here and it's kind of a wild deal? I mean, it kind of challenges your boundaries. 
Nobody wants to be thought of as less than intelligent or less than, you know, refined. Now, there are three things that are going on here. Now, listen to me carefully. Three things went on. Two of these things were sovereign. There was nothing that the disciples could do to make it happen or not make it happen. It just happened. Those two things were the sound of the Russian mighty wind. I mean, they didn't do anything. They didn't have a tape recorder in the back and push a button and gave you the mood music. I mean, that was just sovereign. God did it sovereignly. Secondly, were the cloven tongues of fire that landed on their heads. There was nothing they could do to make that happen. God did that sovereignly. It happened these two times. Uh, these two things happened this time. And, and so far as we see, they never happen again. It never happens again in all of the scripture except these two moments. Now, the third thing that happened was this language that came out. Now, this is a little bit different because this is more than sovereign activity. The scripture says that they spoke as the Spirit gave utterance. Now, that says to me these things. They had to cooperate with that moment. I mean, I mean, it was the moment where they had to decide whether or not they were going to. They spoke. They spoke, but the Spirit gave utterance. And we find all through the book of Acts, this particular manifestation showing up again and again and again. Now, many, many people, I grew up, I grew up in a denomination that explained this as natural languages, that all these people had gathered from all of these nations, supernaturally something happened, and they all began to speak in the language, a natural language. Maybe they didn't know it, but they spoke in a natural language of the people that had gathered there on that particular day. I, I need to just work through something. Bear with me for just a moment. The words that I want to talk to you about, the first one is glossololeo. Glossa means language. Laleo means to speak. It's where we get the whole phrase to speak in tongues. The word for tongue. And some people have translated this language. I have no problem with that translation. The key is what kind of language was it? Was it natural language? Or was it spiritual language? Keep that in mind for just a moment. And let's look at the second word that comes up. The second word that comes up are the people's words. For they say, how be it that we hear in our own language, and there's a different word that springs up, and that's the word dialectos, dialect. So it's interesting that the, that the disciples are speaking in glossa, but the people are hearing dialectos. Fascinating, fascinating. I don't know that I fully comprehended all that was going on there until a number of years ago when I was at another conference, and there was a gentleman there from uh, Brazil who spoke Portuguese. Now, uh, I'm using this as an illustration, not to illustrate natural language, but just to illustrate what was going on in me. He was preaching, speaking in Portuguese, and he would have a translator, and then, of course, we would hear it in English. And then he had a great altar call. It was an amazing service. The Spirit of God was moving powerfully there. And all, we were in a pastor's conference, and we all are down at the altar, and we're seeking God. And, and he wanted us to make a declaration with him. And so he would say the declaration in Portuguese. It would be translated in English. We would repeat it in English. And then, you know, he would do it again. And, you know, that, that, that took, I don't know, how, how much more time would that take? You know when repeat after me, we do it here? Could you imagine he says this, this guy says this, we say this, and it was wild. I mean, just. And about halfway through that, though, the most unique thing happened to me. 
that inside of me, I started hearing, I guess, it, I, since I think in English, I guess it was English. I started, as he's speaking in Portuguese, inside I'm hearing English. I know what the translator's going to say before the translator says it. Now understand, I'm not this weird, wacky guy that just, you know, is off the deep end. I'm telling you, this was a moment I'm going, this is wild. He speaks Portuguese. I'm hearing it. I could have said it with the translator. In fact, I looked. I don't know who I was looking at. I think I looked at someone and said, I can hear what he's saying before he says it. And this was what was so funny is the moment I let my natural mind get back into it, I lost it. I lost that moment. But it helped me understand what was going on here. See, all of a sudden, what was going on here was that these Disciples were coming out of an upper room. Now, there's several things that's going on. Number one is it says that they're confused. The, 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 the people who are hearing it are confused. It says that they think they're drunk. Now, can I ask you this? How many of you this morning think I'm drunk? There's one back there that thinks I'm drunk. No, I'm asking. No, no, I mean, you, 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 no, you say you, you aren't exhibiting any of the attributes of a person being these people were obviously what were they doing were they stumbling were they slurring their speech and think of this for just a moment that if i put 120 preachers up here at once and all 120 of us if we just started together in the same language preaching much less different languages preaching do you really think that out of that mob moment that you could you could hear the gospel I, I, I think there's something going on here that we need to maybe delve into a little bit, a little bit deeper. You see, there were over 17 nations that were represented there that day. And all of these nations heard something in the natural. This is what I believe happened. I believe that those disciples came out of that upper room. They were speaking in spiritual language, glossa. It's the same word Paul would later use at Corinth when he deals with them concerning their prayer language and the public use of the tongue. But they're coming out, and the miracle, while that tongue was indeed a miracle, maybe even the greater miracle that never gets touched on on the day of Pentecost, is the fact that God was sovereignly interpreting that in the spirits of everyone that was listening because they said to themselves, how be it that we hear? Doesn't that sound, I mean, it wasn't like, it's, it's why are we hearing in our own language? And all of a sudden, this miracle of revelation was, was taking place at that particular moment. And I honestly believe on the day of Pentecost, it was the first unveiling of not only spiritual language, but even the revelation and the interpretation that could come to a person's spirit. And 3,000 people heard the gospel clear enough that day that they got saved. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And lastly, I'll just put this out. Can you experience the same thing? Well, the short answer is, I believe yes. You say, well, how? How can I? How? If there's a hunger in you. You see, the earth, the earth is frustrated. The hour we are living in is an important hour because there's a frustration in the earth. Romans 8 says the earth groans. For the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. There are no answers anymore. There is no, there is, there is no solution. We are facing issues that are so insurmountable that unless we have the power of God show up again, we're not going to make it, folks. I mean, I rejoice in the sense that the perpetrator 
and the mastermind of 9-11 was killed. I have no problem saying that as a believer. I've been reading a lot of blog sites and people are having hard times with sort of the celebration of the killing of Osama bin Laden. Can I just say this? I, I do believe that probably you have to be careful of not entering into vengeance or carnality or frivolity. We do not rejoice that someone has, has, has died in the sense that he's a human being, that Christ died for. He died for all humanity, including Osama bin Laden. But the truth of the matter is, is that the Bible shows us that when the Egyptians were chasing the Israelites and the Red Sea collapsed upon them, they had a big celebration. And the celebration wasn't just because the Egyptians were dead. The celebration was that God is so great. And, and again, while I say I, I'm not doing this, this high five and all the rest, but, but no, I'm, I'm not losing any sleep that evil was disposed of. And I'm not losing a little week of sleep over it. And I, but I also understand this, that if we think that answers the question to the things we face with regards to terrorism, we're sleepy too. Nobody's asking anybody to be carnal here. I think, I think we handle this appropriately. But am I glad that, that somebody, somebody, he knew, he knew the gospel. He knew it enough that he called us out of his understanding infidels. And we were worthy of death. Well, you can't curse the seed of Abraham like that religion curses both Jews and Christians. You can't curse the seed of Abraham and think that you're just going to get away with it forever. The promise of the book says, I will bless them that bless you and I will curse them that curse you. And if you sow murder and you sow death and you sow destruction, the scripture says, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived for whatever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. And his day of reaping came. Now, I don't, I don't kick my heels up and throw a party, but at the same time, I'm not losing any sleep over it. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is, is that if there was ever a day that the church needed to be endued with power, for both ministry, solutions, and answers, this is the day. Now, what do we do? Here's several things. I put it up on the screen. How can you experience this same thing, guys? Go ahead and begin to post it. you got to want this thing. Jesus said, if any man thirst, if any man hunger, if you thirst and you hunger, you're a candidate. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, if God wants to lay this stuff on me, okay, I'll let him lay it on me. No, he ain't going to lay it. He, he wants some pursuit. you got to get hungry. you got to get thirsty. Number two, you got to ask. Scripture says that, that, uh, that if you ask, in fact, Luke 11, 11, can we post that, guys, by the way? It says, if son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Listen, if you come and you say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit, he's not going to dump on you a counterfeit. He's not going to dump on you something crazy and weird and psychologically imbalanced. That isn't going to happen. He's going to give you his Holy Spirit, but you've got you've to ask. Number three, you've got to have an expectation that you'll be baptized. God looks for expectation. The disciples in the upper room obeyed what Jesus had said. They heard him say, go to Jerusalem, tarry, wait for the promise of my father. And that's exactly what they did. They tarried there for 40 days in order to see his word come to pass in their life. 
Let me tell you, if you want to see his word come to pass in your life, quit overanalyzing things and just begin to believe again. And then lastly, you must cooperate. You got to cooperate. I've already said that they spoke as the spirit gave utterance. You know, a lot of us took high school languages here. And I can remember I took I took some high school uh, French. I took some graduate school Greek. And there were times that the instructor made us articulate those sounds that were unfamiliar to us. And uh, if your French or Spanish teacher were to ask you to stand and suddenly were to say, uh, you need to re repeat and say this. And if all you did was look there and say, you, if you want me to have Spanish, make me. Teacher look at you and go, I can't make you. Well, no, make, make me, make me. When the teacher say, I can't make you. I can't, I can't make you do anything. You've got to fill your lungs up. You've got to let it go through your larynx. And you've got to begin to articulate whatever it is you're hearing in your ears. That's how we treat God at times. We sit there and we stand with our lips zipped. And we say, well, if you want me to have it, give it to me. That well, must not be for me. Come on. Come on, there's, there's, God will put words into your spirit. But you've got to have the faith to lose those words. And, and your problem is, is, is you, you've lived so long listening to one language that you have, you have totally, you have totally knocked out the possibility there could be another language. Now, this is what's interesting. I've often asked people this. Do you think that God only understands English? So he would understand Chinese. Is that right? Russian, all those African dialects. We have one of our leader's wives, Kelly uh, Pruitt, who did some Peace Corps time in Africa. And, and uh, I know they talk French over there and other things, but you get to some of those tribes and they start getting into their dialects and they make all kinds of sounds. You know, like... I mean, I don't know. I might have said God bless you in some language, some tribal language right now. I might have. Well, you know that's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they make these grunts and sounds. And do you, do, you, do, you, do you consternate over that? See, this is the thing. We are so arrogant as human beings to believe that, that there can be no language of the eternal realm. We are so arrogant as human beings to think that the only language, you know, well, God may hear Chinese, but I bet he hears English better. How do you know angels don't have their own dialect? How do you know? How, well, Paul said, though, I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. How do we know that angels don't have a sound that you never heard before? Is, is that, I mean, it says to me that I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into a new kingdom. And in this new kingdom, there are new, I believe, it's just like if I were taken out of the domain of the United States of America and put into the domain of France, although I can never imagine God doing that to me. Don't say, oh yeah, oh God, I break that. I break that vow right now. Yeah. Oh. Je suis un cochon. That's all I remember. And that is, I am a pig. That's the only thing I remember from my French class. Hmm. 
Isn't it good to laugh? But you know, you know, because because English, at least for now, is here in America. But if I go to France, you, you know I'm going to have to learn the language of the kingdom. And I believe there's a language of the kingdom that the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit uses in order that when we're weak and we're infirm, he can intercede through us to where we can hit the will of God. I'll finish with this because I know you want to go to dinner with your mom. When Tyler was a baby and as he grew older to about the age of two or three, we were unaware that he had severe ear problems. The only way we started to get a handle on this was because his speech did not start until much later than a normal child's development. And so we thought maybe that he had a disability and his own only disability was that, he, that his ears were messed up. And so we had to put tubes in his ears and it cleared his ears out because he couldn't hear what was being said in order to articulate it for himself. And so ultimately that cleared up his ability to speak English. But prior to those tubes getting in his ears, he would say things that I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out for the life of me what he was saying. He had his whole vocabulary and he'd start pointing at things and just start saying things. We live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And he'd point and he'd go, he'd say this, he'd go, Mama Covey, Covey, Mama Covey. i go, what's he saying? And Tracy would look at me instantly and she says, he's saying it's foggy outside. <laughs> oh, as if, as if everybody should know that. Covey, covey, covey. And, she, and she'd be able to say it's foggy. And then sometimes she'd get aggravated with me and say, can't you understand that? And I go, oh, I can't understand anything. I mean, I can't go through all the words that he knew. Tiggy was kitty. And he'd walk around, tiggy, tiggy, you know, and that meant kitty. But he would have these whole sentences. He'd just, he'd be sitting down eating or whatever. And he'd go into these whole sentences. And I'd look at him and I'd go, and Trace would go, he just said, and she'd give the translation right there. I'm going, I, can't you understand that? And I'm going, and you feel bad after a while because it's your kid, you know. And, of course, you got to remember at the time, we didn't know that his ears were a problem and all this kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, if he does this the rest of his life, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have to hire a translator to follow me around with my kid. I'm going to ask you something. I didn't understand it, but was it a language? Come on, some of you that have babies and children and, and kids that are real little and they just do this garbly stuff. And you know, you know, you know, and some of you mothers know when your baby cries, whether it's a hungry cry or whether it's a change my diaper cry or whether it is stop what you're doing and pick me up cry or whether it's just I'm going to cry. Is that a language? certainly communicating something, isn't it? Oh, no, 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 no. You see, here's what we need to do, because according to many people's viewpoints, then we ought to start slapping them or something and saying, you emotional, you're just being emotional. That's the devil in you. <laughs> Quit it. Quit it, Tyler. It's not Covey. It's the devil. You got a devil in you, boy. Now, there may have been moments we thought he had a devil, but <laughs> not because of that language. 
<laughs> Clay, okay. Well, there have been moments we thought they all needed deliverance, but listen, the only point I'm trying to make is this. I'm trying to knock out of your system the built-in prejudice that sometimes came through erroneous religious teaching, the built-in prejudice that comes because we are so haughty in our mentalities, that somehow or another God can't do something that isn't irrational. I call it transrational. He's not doing something against your mind. He's superseding your mind. I pray in the Spirit. Paul says this. He says, I will pray with understanding and I will pray in the Spirit. Just like he makes a choice. I make that choice all the time. I'm preaching to you now in English. I could stand and pace and begin to pray in the Spirit if I elected. It's as natural to me. You see, the things of the Spirit... Don't make sense to the natural man, but if you want to become a spiritual man, they become as natural. It used to bug me too. It used, it used to bug the fire out of me. This, this sounds like babbling, and until I finally realized, I guess I think it was that African snorting that finally got to me. And they're going, <laughs> I was watching National Geographic one time, and they were translating that stuff. I'm going, have mercy. You do that in church, they'd throw you out of some churches if you did that. Have some African missionary do that. But we need to hit the will of God. And for some of us, we need to press in and be endued with power. Now, it's not like it's a requirement, but I, but I do tell people this. I, I want everything God's got. I just want it. Now, you know what? He'll meet you where you're at. And it's not like it's something we... We, we force or make happen, but at the same time, I come wanting everything you got. Lord, whatever you have, I'm available to it. Whatever you'd ask me to do, I'm going to say it. I want everything. Everything the book says I can have, I want. And you know what? I didn't check my brain out at the door. I'm not some backwoods dum-dum that came out of some Pentecostal backwoods church somewhere that doesn't know anything. Listen. I understand exactly. I didn't come to this experience. Many people come to this experience through experience. They have an experience, and then they try to figure it out. Not me. I came to this because I saw it here. And I determined that if it's in this thing, then it's mine. It's mine. And it can be yours, too. Did I make you late for lunch? I hope not. Come on, stand with me real quick.